1 Corinthians 16. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of each, every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning your brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to those as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving and gracious God. And we thank you that you've offered us forgiveness and the gift of new life in you. And Lord, we thank you that your love is perfect, never fails, and that nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, we pray that our lives will be filled with the power of your love so we can make a difference in this world and bring honor to you. Lord, help us to love others as you have loved us. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we can choose what's best. And we are, we're weak, Lord, but we know that even when we are weak, you are strong. And Lord, we just thank you that you can carry us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Roger, for reading our text today. This is the last sermon in our series, Loving God's Church, from 1 Corinthians. It's interesting, as we come to the end of Paul's letter, Paul is concluding his letter, but yet not concluding his love for the church at Corinth. You see this in reading that his desire is to come and see them and visit them and see how they're doing, encourage them, spend time with them. And so his love continues for this church even beyond his letter. In fact, the other thing we can understand about the end is that the end of his instruction is just the beginning of their obedience. The end of his letter is now his letter going to them, being read in their midst. And the hope of Paul is that they would continue 
to do what he has called them to do. That they would respond to the things that he's corrected them on. That they would, they would begin to institute godly thinking, wise thinking into the church. As we looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians here, and the call was that, that God would have first place in his church, that the Corinthians would be thinking God's way about things, and Paul had to correct many of their thinking. And then the second half, as we looked at pursuing love in, this, in the church, in God's church, and, and, and Paul's call for them to understand what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, and how, to live that, how they're to live that out within the church, and how holding to God's love is holding to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and His love is ultimately going to be fulfilled in us, and that we proclaim death is swallowed up in victory. And then we come to chapter 16, and he gives us a, a number of concluding things that he desires of them. And the title of this sermon is Pursuing Love That Results in Charity Towards Others. God, uh, God desires his church to respond to one another in a certain way. And in this concluding chapter here, as Paul ends his letter, he calls them to respond to God's church, to their fellow Christians in a very specific way. Just as a reminder, um, that uh, we see Paul's argument is flowing from his command to pursue love in chapter 14, verse 1. And this, this, this rest of the, the, the chapter here in 16 also flows from chapter 15, verse 58, where he we call them to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And now he lays out these different ways in which he expects them to respond and to, to put out this effort, this work for the Lord amongst their, their brothers together. Paul covers the collection for the needy church in Jerusalem. He covers his own travel plans and ministry, both future ministry to them and his current ministry in Ephesus. He covers the ministry of others, the loving greetings from others and from himself. And as I looked at all this, I said, what connects all of these things? And it truly is the way we should treat one another in the larger body of Christ. So this morning, my main point is this. Christians are called to show love for God's church in clear and thoughtful ways. There are ways in which we are meant to live, and meant to live out the love that God has placed within us. And so today we're going to look at six different ways that as Paul concludes his letter to the Corinthians, he calls them to live out this love towards one another and towards others in the larger church of God. And we're going to pull six principles that we can apply to our own lives as well. So before we do, would you Go with me to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that it is true that the grace of the Lord Jesus is with us. We thank you so much for the grace that is undeserving that we are able to experience as his people. And I pray that this morning as we look into this text, we would see how he he, our Savior, our Lord, the King of love, desires for us to live as His people. Lord, give grace to us to see ways in which we can grow and experience uh, the love of Christ in the midst of His people more and more. Lord, use Your Word in our hearts. Use Your Word in our hearts to transform us, to rip from us the conformity that we have to this world, 
and to continue to work within us this transformation power to make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, to be like Him. Be like Him more and more. Lord, may our lives reflect who we love most. And may it be Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that today you would bless your word. Bless your people. Because we know you, you love your word and you love your people far more than we ever could. So use it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point I want to make is this. Christians help bear the burdens of fellow Christians. Christians help bear the burden of fellow Christians. We see this in verses 1 through 4. We read here that there's a collection that Paul is gathering for the church in Jerusalem. And that he's already directed the churches of Galatia to be gathering this collection. And eventually he would come to Corinth and he would, he would take that collection and either himself, um, but also people accredited by the church, would carry that gift to Jerusalem. Now, why was that gift necessary? Well, it was because the church in Jerusalem was suffering greatly under a famine that had been predicted, that had been, that had been prophesied in the Gospels, that a famine would come. And so um, while the famine was affecting everyone in the world, it was affecting the church in Jerusalem particularly hard. And so... Paul has a plan, and the plan was that they would help. The church in Corinth would be part of the help and give to, give to the church in Jerusalem. Now, why is that? Because Christians help bear the burden of fellow Christians. There should be a link between us as Christians that desire to help and desire to care. Now, he lays out a plan. His plan is that they would set something aside each Sunday on the first day of the week, uh, that's, a, that's a Greek phrase that is the, the one of the Sabbath. And uh, Sabbath there could be translated as the seventh day of the week that the Jews celebrated. Or it could be translated as the word week, which it is here. The first day of every week, they would come, they would store it up, set it aside. He called them to consider their ability to help. He didn't force them all to help in the same way with the same amount. Rather, what he says here, as he may prosper. As each of you as Christians has been prospering by God, bring an amount and set it aside for the good of your brothers. He calls them to join in a help that others are already participating in. Again, as we said before, the church in Galatia has was already been called to participate in this help. And so now he calls on the Corinthian church as well. This is, this is a call to join in with other Christians in help. He calls them to help in a way that is wise by sending people who are accredited by letter. In fact, there had often been an abuse in the early church of money being sent to help other Christians. In fact, such an abuse had occurred amongst the Jews taking help to other uh, Jewish synagogues that the Roman army would often accompany uh, those carrying the money. And so Paul wanted to make sure they did it in a wise way that that understood that money was something to, uh, to be used wisely, to be done in a way that was above reproach, that was honorable in front of everyone. And so choose some among you who are credited by letter to carry this gift. His desire was to see the church at Jerusalem experience the love 
that the body of Christ is meant to show. The body of Christ bears one another's burdens. It's what we're meant to do. That's how we're meant to function. That's how we're meant to live. We are not meant just to live on, on our own and come to church on Sunday and we, we are successful, we make our money, whatever, and, and that's all for us to use. And then we just come to church on Sunday and we sing and we worship and we go away. No, God has prospered us in the, what, however way he's prospered us in order that we might use it to further his kingdom, to care for his people specifically here. In fact, when Jesus talks about giving, he talks about a widow who does not have much at all. And yet she gives all that she has to further the work of the Lord. You know, when Paul says, as you prosper, he's not asking each of you to give the greatest amount of money in the church, but to give what you can what God has laid upon your heart to further his kingdom. Jesus didn't notice all the, the rich people dropping in much more money than the widow did because what they were giving was so minuscule to compared to the, the, the prospering that God had blessed them with in their life. But the widow, the widow, what God had prospered her with, she gave 100%. Now, Paul's not asking you to give 100%, but he's asking you to consider as God has prospered you, give Give. It's interesting that he follows this up right after a whole chapter talking about the resurrection of the dead. You know why? I think in part, although I'm not in Paul's mind, I don't know all that he's thinking, but I think in part it's this. Your money will be worth nothing when you're raised from the dead. Nothing. Use it now. Isn't it Jesus who said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth? You lay up for yourself treasures on earth, and what happens? Moths come in and eat it. Thieves break in and steal it. But if you lay up treasures in heaven, these things are incorruptible. No one can steal these from you. We are meant to take what God has blessed us with and bless others. Christians are meant to bear one another's burdens. We're meant to do it wisely. We're meant to do it thoughtfully. Again, my main point is that the church should be showing love in clear and thoughtful ways. Paul's trying to help them. You know, some, sometimes we don't have just a bunch of money laying, I don't know, if you may be different from me. I don't have a bunch of money just laying around to give when it's needed. So what does Paul say? He says, set a little aside. Set a little aside. Set a little aside. So what? So when the need comes, you are ready to give. You have planned to give. You are clear and thoughtful in the way that you approach bearing one another's burdens. Fact is, there are opportunities before us today that can allow us to, to participate in this, to, to apply this principle. We're getting ready for November, and uh, in November, in, in the past, and, and we're doing it this year as well, uh, we're starting it off with uh, Widow and Orphan Sunday. And we're going to be kicking off Give for Gastoni. This is an opportunity to give to help bear the burdens of others. It's an opportunity. Kids can store up their, store up their coins and get ready. Parents, maybe be a little more generous with your allowance over this next month to allow them to. We're going to be um, emphasizing 
Um, our giving to widows in our church. And one of the ways we care for widows in our church is through our benevolence fund. And that's an opportunity for anyone in the church to give towards that, to help to meet needs. Um, it meets needs beyond widows, but, but it also meets needs of widows. We have Operation Christmas Child, an opportunity to give of yourself and of your prosperity to someone who is not as prosperous in hopes that they hear the gospel. We have support for Bob Harris and for the Curtises and for New Life Church and their ministry of the Congo Coalition and opportunities where we as a church can care for other churches. You know, one of the, one of the hopes for the, the, the Congo Coalition is that at some point in time, as it's transferred over to national pastors, they would be able to support that ministry and continue to train uh, pastors because Seth Curtis is not going to be there forever. We may not, I'm not going to be here forever either. We as a church may not be supporting them forever. We plan to, to, to help them to get to a place where they can, but right now they can't. And so what do we do as a church? We come alongside another church, New Life Church, and we give to help them continue to train pastors and build that foundation so that one day they can be at a place where they do that. As a church, we bear one another's burdens. Those are some of the ways that we today can fulfill this call that Paul has to the church at Corinth, that Christians help bear the burdens of fellow Christians. But not only that, number two, Christians desire to be with fellow Christians. We see this in Paul's travel plans here that he describes starting in verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Here we see Paul's desire to spend time with God's people, with his fellow Christians. His desire is to be with them, not just in passing. That's sometimes true of us. We don't, we don't mind being with our fellow Christians just as long as it's just in passing. <laughs> That's not what Paul wants. Now, it's interesting. If you've hung with us through all of 1 Corinthians, all right, do all the Corinthians really love Paul? No, they don't. There's a lot of them that are very antagonistic against Paul, all right? Has he had to say some very hard things to them? Very difficult things? Yes. As a pastor, if I had to go through all the things he's gone through, this would be a great struggle, right? And loving this church. And yet, what does Paul say? Paul says, I want to come, not just in passing, but to spend time with you, maybe the whole winter with you. It's a church that Paul probably spent more time in than any other church when he was planning it. This is a church that Paul desperately loves. He, he ends it with, my love be with you all, not just the ones who like him, but with everyone. Paul has this heart for this church, a desire to be with this people, to spend time with them. His desire is, is for encouragement in ministry. He writes here that, that his hope is that they would help him along on his journey, that they would, they would come alongside him and be a part with him in his ministry and join in with him and encourage him and help him. But this desire is weighed with the ministry that God calls him to. At the current time, he says he has to stay in Ephesus. There's a job to be done. Sometimes we can't always spend time with each other like we would want to. God has a 
in a place that he has us in for the reason he has us there, to do the ministry he's called us to do. And yet, I would argue that there should be a desire in our heart to be with our fellow Christians. That should be something that beats within us. I don't want to, I, I can't always be with them, but I really want to. I want to spend some time with them. You know, not just saying hi and shaking hands, but just sitting down and talking, just being a part of their lives, knowing about them. Today, there should be a pull to be together as Christians both inside and outside the church, both with Christians that are a part of our church here and Christians that are part of the broader church. There should be a pull to want to be with those Christians. Yet at the same time, that pull is there because there's also ministry we are called to to those who are lost, to invite and welcome visitors in, to evangelize our neighbors and coworkers and friends and family. God has placed us in the place He's put us in for ministry. And you know, as Paul describes that ministry, there is an effective door, a wide door for effective work open for me, right? It's there. There is an opportunity to share the gospel, preach the gospel, build up the church in ways that are amazing. And yet, what does he say also exists? And there are many adversaries. Sometimes we as Christians want to think that the ministry that God puts us in, if God put us there, is going to be really easy. That's not the case. It's going to be hard for you to talk about your Christianity with your neighbor. They're not always going to like it. It's true. And if you're just waiting for it to be easy, then it's then you're probably not seeing ministry the way Paul sees ministry, and you're probably not seeing ministry the way God sees ministry. You were put in hard places. You're meant to be a light in a dark place, a city on a hill that people can see. Be salt in the world that is resisting the saltiness of you. I mean, that's what we're called to. And so we should, we should grasp the fact that we have ministry. And, and because of the hardness, what should, what's the pull? All the more we want to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ so we can be encouraged and we can be helped and we can be spurred on to continue. Your labor is not in vain. We desire to be with one another, to spend that time. We know how how fruitful it can be to, to, to come alongside a brother in Christ and spend time with them because ministry can be hard. The world can treat Christians very poorly. We need our brothers and sisters. So too, Christians should desire to be with fellow Christians, even though there's this pull of ministry. Number three, Christians support the faithful work of fellow Christians. Then he writes in verse 10 and 11, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. It's interesting, he starts off by describing 
the, the relationship they want to have, he wants them to have with Timothy is that they would put him at ease. Well, after reading through 1 Corinthians, we know why Timothy might be a little bit uneasy about being there. I mean, he is linked with Paul, and not all of them really like Paul. Um, so they might be tempted to mistreat Timothy on behalf of Paul. Well, this is how we treat Paul if he was here, so we're going to treat Timothy that way as well. And yet, Paul calls them not to do this. This is someone who is serving the Lord. So first of all, I think, I think the call is that they would be a pleasant place for Timothy to receive report. This at ease is in contrast to being fearful. Put him at ease. Let, your, let, let his time with you as God's church be one that is pleasant. Be a place where he is not always afraid and fearful of how he's going to be treated. Help him, help him to be able to speak the truth of God without always being concerned about his fear of you. Don't you want a pastor who speaks the truth of God? Not fearful of man? Not afraid of, of how people might uh, respond and treat him? Obviously, it must be done in love. But still must speak the truth. The fear of man is a, is a great burden on many people. It's, it seems like it could have been a burden on Timothy as he went to Corinth. And yet, the call is for the church to be a pleasant place. But not only that, to be a peaceful place. For Timothy to receive support. It says, do not despise him. Rather, so the opposite of despising him is help him on his way in peace. There shouldn't be a place of conflict where, where people are continually standing up and, and, and rejecting his ministry and his ability to minister. Again, probably not because of who Timothy is, but because of their resistance of Paul. And he's saying, don't do this. Here is one who is doing the work of the Lord. So let him come and have a peaceful place of receiving support. Now, it's interesting. You totally can understand why the world would be an adversary to the ministry of Paul and the ministry of Timothy and, and all the saints, all of our ministry. Again, that's what Paul says about Ephesus. There's a great door open, yet there's many adversaries. We expect that. What he's saying here is, don't have Timothy come in and find all his adversaries in the church with God's people. Rather, support those who are doing the ministry of the Lord. Be faithful to support those who are working faithfully on the Lord's behalf. You know, one of the ways we seek to develop this here is we have... We're trying to open um, developing relationship with local pastors and local churches in our area. We want to know them, know their struggles, encourage them, help them. You know, we are not in competition with any of the other churches that preach the gospel. If they don't preach the gospel, then we are. If they don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't want anyone going there. Because people who go there and trust in what they preach that's not the gospel are damned to hell. But if they preach the gospel, we want to support them. We're not competing with them. We're not combative against them. We're not demanding that they do everything the way we would do it. Our hope is that we can encourage them. And, and I know many of you know pastors in the area. You know local churches in the area. Be an encouragement to them. 
Continue to strengthen the relationship that you have with them and encourage them to do the work of the ministry in a way that will help the, the, the neighborhood you live in, the town that you live in, and the school you send your kids to, all those things. We want, we want a strong gospel presence in our midst. Which leads us to number four. Christians respect the wisdom choices of fellow Christians. He writes in verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Many think that some people in Corinth had requested that Apollos would come. And in fact, we read in early chapters in, in Corinthians that there were many who were really in favor of Apollos. Like some were of Paul and some were of pa- Apollos and some were of Cephas. And so there's this division in the church at Corinth about who they really liked and who they wanted to follow. And Paul's ultimately like, we're not competing against each other. We're all together in this. And so he had encouraged Apollos to visit him. But yet, what does Apollos say? Not the time to do it. Paul shared wisdom with him, strongly urged him to visit, and yet gave room for Apollos to make a personal choice. And this tells us something that we need to understand about the apostles. They weren't always infallible. They weren't always speaking on behalf of God. What we have that they've written to us in Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And yet Paul many times talks about his his encouragement to someone to do something and yet giving them the ability to go and do it. Um, As the apostle, he wasn't always speaking on behalf of God. And so here in this case, he gives Apollos the room to do it. He doesn't command him. The Lord said, go, Apollos, you need to go. No, he said, you know, I think it would be good if you went. He strongly urged him. I think it would help the church at Corinth if you were to go. And yet that was not, that was not what Apollos thought would be right at this time. He writes, but it was not at all his will to come. He will come when he has opportunity. Ultimately, we see even from the Apostle Paul, his allowance of God to rule his people. God is the one who rules. Nothing is to be required of everyone that is not required by Scripture, and nothing is to be prohibited for everyone that is not prohibited by Scripture. In response to the wisdom of choices of others, we see verse 13. Verse 13 is this interesting verse. It seems just like shoved right in there. Like, but I think it, it goes with verse 12, that we're meant to understand it in light of verse 12. That we're to be watchful, we're to stay awake and be alert to the dangers of worldly thinking. Now, some of the dangers of worldly thinking come on behalf of the Corinthians. If they're requesting Apollos to come, they may be requesting him because they think that somehow he is able to do something that they cannot do. And that's not true. God gifts his church with all the gifts that they need. And if they needed Apollos, God would send them Apollos. They don't need him. They may want him, but they don't need him. It's true of me. I hope you want me, but you don't need me. But God has me here right now. The same thing's true of you. You're here right now. God has gifted our church with everything our church needs to follow him. Now, he may choose in the future to gift us in other ways for other things that maybe we want to do now but we can't. 
But we can do everything he calls us to do as a church right now to please him and glorify him. We need to be watchful in our thinking. But it's also on Apollos' end as well. We, may, we need to make sure our wisdom choices are truly wise. That we are truly following God's wisdom. You know, Paulus chooses not to go against Paul's urging, and Paul is fine with it. But Apollos himself needs to be sure that this is God's rule in his life. When we make wisdom choices, we are saying, this is what I believe, as Christians, this is what I believe God has for me to do. And we need to be watchful, awake, alert to the dangers of worldly thinking. But not only that, he he goes on to say, standing firm in the faith. We need to give room for wisdom, but not to anything that would change the faith. It's It's not a wisdom issue if it goes against what the Word of God teaches. It's not. It's obedience or disobedience. And so we need to make sure we're standing firm in the faith, whatever choice we make. Apollos is able to stand firm in the faith and say, I need to stay where I'm at right now. I can't go to Corinth. There's some decisions like that that we have to make. He goes on to say, act like men. Now there's other ways that this can be translated. I think the best one is to be courageous or be brave. Or maybe even you could say, be mature. So rather than saying act like men as opposed to acting like women. That's not what he has in mind here, okay? Um, You could say maybe act like men as opposed to acting like children. Act like an adult as opposed to acting like kids. That we're meant to be mature, and being mature is being courageous. And I think that is a response to standing firm in the faith. We are to be courageous towards the faith. Always be brave in standing for the truth. We We shouldn't be... We shouldn't be uh, bent away from the truth by the convenience of our own life, what's convenient for us to do, or by the demands of other people. We're afraid of what they might think or what they might say. We're meant to be courageous in regards to the faith, in regards to the truth. Not only that, be strong towards the faith, strong towards the truth. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Always be loving. A Christian's firmness, a Christian's maturity, a Christian's strength must always be accompanied by love. Always. In fact, I would go as far as to say Christians are not mature without love. Christians are not mature without love. In fact, this... I go that far because Paul did in 14 when he says pursue love and then he says you're acting like children because you're not pursuing love in the way they were acting in in chapter 14. Love is something that is demonstrated by those who are mature. The fact is we can stand firm on our beliefs. We We can choose to make wisdom choices that we believe God is calling us even to in ways that are loving to others. We must do that. As Christians, we must be known by our love. And a love that never jeopardizes or never bends the faith in any way. 
Those two are compatible together. Some people try to pit them against each other. Well, I can, I can defend the faith, or I can be loving. That's, they're, they're not two things that are antithesis to one another. They go together. We are to lovingly defend the faith. Stand firm in a way that demonstrates a, a compassion and care for people even who disagree with us. Today, we can affirm churches that affirm the faith, even if they do not do everything the same way we do. We can affirm one another's wisdom choices. The, the one, you know, we're talking again, not unbiblical choices, but just wisdom choices, even if they're not the ones we, we would choose and the ones we would make. You know, there's, there's some discrepancies at times about how people raise their kids or where they send them to school or things like that. We can disagree on those things and allow God's wisdom to influence each one of us in the choices we make because they're not, we're not living unbiblically. And yet, and yet if, if any of us are to make unbiblical choices and live in a way that God calls us not to live, what are we called to do? We are called to bravely and lovingly confront our membership covenant declares this, that each of our members agree to, that if you do not live according to the ways God calls you to live, we will confront you. We're meant to. Yet if it's not living unbiblically, then we need to leave room for God to rule in hearts and for people to make wise choices. So Christians respect the wisdom choices of their fellow Christians. Christians also recognize leaders devoted to serve fellow Christians. In verse 15, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, and you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. He says to take notice to devoted servants in the church. These are people you know have devoted themselves to serving God's people. It's, it's not even a question. As Paul presents to, to the Corinthian church these men, it's not even a question do you know these guys who devote themselves? Did you know that they were devoting themselves? No. The, his assumption is that they know. They know that these guys are committed to serving the church. You're meant to recognize such men as these. Not only that, but to make them your leader. As we look at verse 16, it says, Be subject, subject to such as these. I urge you to be subject or to subordinate yourself to such as these. I think, I think it includes the idea of following them, possibly in making them your leader, deacons and pastors in your church. You know, Paul, as he writes to Titus, expects that leaders would grow up out of the church and they would be recognized in the church. And so the church is meant to recognize men who are living this way as leaders that they are willing to follow. We believe in a congregational Rule government. And so, therefore, 
when we elect a deacon, it is the congregation who elects them saying, this is someone we believe we should follow. To imitate them as well is understood here. And to honor them. They are to be honored in their midst. They are to be given recognition. Today, as, as we're going to be considering who would be deacons, and uh, I'll be sending out uh, something to our membership in regards to some deacon nominations, I want you to know it's not necessarily the brightest or the smartest or the strongest or the most administratively skilled person. Not that they might not have those things. I'm just saying that's not what defines them. Rather, <laughs> our deacons are looking at me like, oh, that's what you think of me. No. Rather, it's a person who is known as a devoted servant of God's church. A devoted servant of the saints. These are people who you should follow. Who you should imitate. In fact, I would go as far to say, based upon these verses, if you are not currently serving alongside a devoted servant of the saints, you should plan to. Because that is what you should be striving to be. You should know them, recognize them, and follow them, imitate them, be around them, be serving along with them. Christians recognize leaders who are devoted to serving fellow Christians. The last point here in his letter is this, Christians declare their love for fellow Christians. The churches of Asia send, your greeting, send you greetings, Aquila and Prisica, together with the church in their house, send you heartily greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Those of us who have been studying Romans with us on Wednesday night may find this very familiar it's very similar to Romans chapter 16 as well. Whereas he, com he comes to the conclusion of his letter, he declares the love of another church and other churches and other brothers toward this church. He declares his own love to them. So what does this mean? This means, first of all, we should know other churches. The church in their house send you hearty greetings. All these brothers send you greetings. What does it mean? They know other faithful churches that they're able to declare their love towards and encourage them. Not only should we know them, we should develop an intimacy with other churches. It is a hearty greeting that they give. Greeting one another with a holy kiss is meant to describe intimacy. You know, it's not... In our culture, I don't expect us to come in next Sunday and start kissing everybody, okay? Rather, it's meant to describe the intimacy with which you give your greeting. That there's meant to be an int intimacy that they have with one another. But, but as he says that in verse 20, greet one another with a holy kiss. What is he saying? On our behalf. That when you come together, be greeting one another as we are greeting you. 
that there's an intimacy that Paul has with them, that these brothers that are sending their greeting has with them, that Aquila and Prisica have with them, that the churches in Asia have with them. There's an intimacy that God's people have with one another, even though we are halfway around the globe. Because we are a part of, of Christ, of the body of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he says this, that the love for fellow Christians is contingent on love for the Lord. Why do we love one another so much? It's because we love the Lord. Notice what he said, if, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Hey, good to see you all. If you don't love the Lord, you're accursed. You see how he makes his love contingent upon their loving the Lord? Our love is contingent upon our loving the Lord. How can we love one another if we do not love God? Christians cannot do it. And our love for the Lord is contingent on His grace being with us. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. We only love the Lord and therefore are able to love one another because the grace of the Lord Jesus is with us. Grace is something we do not earn. We do not deserve. And yet it is given to us. By Jesus Christ. Through his work on the cross. His death. His resurrection. New life has come to those who put their trust and believe in him. We have new life and are therefore able to give a new love that we did not have before. A love that we can share with one another. An intimate an intimate love. Christians declare an intimate love with fellow Christians because it is the love that they share, the love of God through Jesus Christ, given to us by Him. It is not a love that we can get in any other way. And so we should today take part in praying for local churches and speaking well of churches that stand firm in the faith. We should, we should know them. We should love them. We should pray for them. We pray for a number of churches here. We pray for Bible Baptist Church in Romeoville with Pastor Kip and Pastor Allen. We pray for Faith Bible Church. We just had Kevin, Pastor Kevin Fitz come and speak to us this summer. We pray for them. We pray for First Baptist Church in Bolingbrook with Pastor Vaughn Sanders. We pray for Grace Bible with Pastor Jason. We pray for Harvest Bible Chapel in Joliet with Pastor Eric. Pray for Iglesia Camino Cielo with Pastor Manuel, whom we all, many of us know very well. We pray for Manuka Bible with Pastor Errol. We pray for Ridgewood Baptist with Pastor Dave there. Pray for Second Baptist with Pastor Larry. We're thankful for the churches God has put in our midst. We want to demonstrate our love for them. We want to continue to grow in our intimacy with them. But not only that, as we greet one another in an intimate way on behalf of Paul and the rest of the churches in Asia, it means that there should be an intimacy that is between us. How do we greet one another on behalf of Paul with intimacy if we don't have intimacy with one another already? There should be a love that we share as, as God's church placed here as Gospel Life Church. We are meant to show 
love for one another. And one of the ways I was thinking about practically how we could do this is next Sunday we have our Thanksgiving dinner. Come to serve. Come to serve one another. Don't come to be served. All right, where's my turkey? I'm ready. Which one of you is going to serve me turkey? All right. No, don't come to be served. Come to serve. Declare your love. This is, this is my family. I'm not saying you have to be all formal about it. This is my family. So, hey, you, you want a refill? I'll go get you a refill. I'm going anyway. That's what I do my, for my family, and I'll, I'll do it for you too. Serve one another. Stay around for cleanup. That's what families do, right? My kids don't get to just go wander off after we're done eating. They've got to help clean up. Right? Stay around for cleanup. Serve one another. Show your love. A couple things in application here. So of all this, let me just recap the six ways in which we can clear and thoughtfully show love. These principles, Christians help bear the burdens of fellow Christians. Christians desire to be with fellow Christians. Christians support the faithful work of fellow Christians. Christians respect the wisdom choices of fellow Christians. Christians recognize leaders devoted to serving fellow Christians. And Christians declare their love for fellow Christians. As we think about this, fellow Christian, know that you should clearly and thoughtfully be showing love for God's church, both the church near and the church far. You should know that this is your responsibility. If you're an unbeliever here, you're not a Christian, know that you can only give this kind of love once you have experienced the love of Jesus Christ that He has given to you as your Savior. You can trust in Him today. To those who are here as Christians and are depressed and discouraged, know that your hope is not in yourself. It's not in waiting for others to love you. Paul had plenty of reasons to be discouraged, even after writing to this church in Corinth. Yet his hope was not in waiting for others to love him. It wasn't in changing your circumstances. Your hope is in Jesus. And He often gives you strength through your showing love to others. It's amazing how that is. With the comfort we have been comforted, we comfort others, is how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. The comfort of God is meant to then allow us to comfort others. We need to give of ourselves. Not wait for others to give to us. Kids, I say that like that so that they will all look up at me. Kids, yeah, you too. You should know that you can show love to others in the church. You can help your parents think of creative ways to serve other people in the church. We have Give for Gastoni coming up. That's an opportunity for you to show love. Parents, know that your kids need you to teach them how to show love. They need you to teach them how to show love to God's church. If you don't love God's church, don't expect your kids to love God's church. They live with you day after day. They're seeing what you see, or they're seeing what you do. Those who are overworked or feel very busy, know that showing love can only take a moment. A note, a text, a call, but also it often does take more time than that. So it can be, and probably I would say should be, scheduled into your life. Schedule it in. You know you're busy. 
schedule in that fact that you need to show love. God created time, right? He knows how you should use it. He calls you to do something, and He created the time. He knows you can do it. So now place it into your schedule. You are tired and worn out. Maybe you're elderly and feeling a little weary. No, God calls you to continue to show love to His church. While we have breath, we still serve Him. And when we breathe our last breath, we will serve Him even better. We can right now. So walk. Walk. I've given a few specific applications throughout my sermon, so I will say that if you are showing clear and thoughtful love for God's church on a daily basis, thank you. Thank you for your example. Keep it up. Continue to greater and greater acts of love because the Savior who empowers you is able to give you more and more love to give. In fact, if, if you're doing it right, you will not run out of love because God is love. If you're not, start. Start right now. Begin today. Giving of yourself. You may not always see the fruit of it, but Paul writes, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And in eternity, you will not regret showing love to God's church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these truths of Scripture. We thank you for opportunity to look at them and the call they have on our lives. Lord, I pray that we would responsibly bring them into our lives, allow them to affect the way we think, the way we feel, allow them to direct our, our heart and our hands to action. Lord, we ask that you would, you would use your word, demonstrate its power by its work in us. Lord, may we truly embrace chapter 16 here and Paul's call on how we are to respond to your people so that we might demonstrate the grace at work in us and your love that empowers us. In Jesus' name.